to have a nice apocalypse. It's the Talk Film Society Richard Kelly retrospective, where we talk about his works, and more specifically, the film Southland Tales. I am your host, Marcelo Pico, here with you once again, after a many months hiatus. Uh, I'm excited. You know who else is excited? The guy cannot do this without. It's the co-host of the show, Marcus Serving. Hello, Marcus. Who's who's got two thumbs and is excited? This guy, Marcus Serving. Who's got two thumbs and is also excited? It's this guy, uh, Richard Kelly. I yeah. think. Do he, are, he's stoked that we're going to be coming back. Do are we confident that Richard Kelly has two thumbs? <laughs> I guess anything could have happened. He's he's been out of the public eye for a while. I haven't seen any pictures of him since that uh, since that fateful screening of Southland Tales in that Los Angeles or whatever. Right now, I I have his Twitter account open. Uh, his profile picture is him looking into camera, and his hands are together, and I can see his thumbs in the picture. Okay. Uh, I don't know when this picture was taken, but he is advertising that he has two thumbs in his profile picture. So at least there's that. Okay, okay. Uh, that's good. That's good. I, I mean, thumbs or not, I think he's a taunted man. I think that's why we're here. Uh, uh, we're not here to talk about his thumbs. We're here to talk about the works of Richard Kelly and Seth Antels. I mean, Marcus, we've been gone for a while. By my count, at, yeah. least, at least like maybe seven months. Yeah, it's been a long while. It's been a while. Can you explain why it's been a while? We've been well. We we uh, well. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> explain. We yourself. had a, we had a few we had a few things, right? We had a few things. Uh, one of them being. Well, no, I I, I am trying to find my fucking notes. To, <laughs> to, this is going great. <laughs> to find the bits that I had prepared for oh. the reasons for why we were God for so long. Wait, you had bits prepared? No way. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Well, Marcelo, wait, can, one of the wait, reasons. Wait, wait, wait. Can, we I, can I? Can I? Can I set you up again? Can I? Can I? Can I do it again? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Now, Marcus, we've been gone for seven months, I think. Uh, yeah. Now, is there any? I mean, what's the reason? Why did it take so long for us to come back, Marcus? Well, um, I guess one of the reasons. Well, I, we, we established this a long time ago. We made this bet between ourselves. Um, it, it's been it was the fall semester uh, that's over now um <clears throat> we had we had this bet that uh that i would not you bet that i would not be able to turn the the ugliest girl in school into the prom queen right <laughs> wait wait what <laughs> Janie c oh okay Janie C, yeah, she she's got the glasses and the ponytail or whatever, and she's she's, she's an art student, and she has is the. This, is this can't hardly wait? Is this what this is? It might be. <laughs> but uh, we had that bet, and and uh, Marcella, it took a while, but I, I got her there. We me and her became prom king and queen. <laughs> oh, good. All right, I'm so happy. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Wait a second. Is that was that the bit? Did you write down That was one that was the bit, yeah. I had two bits. Did you write down the plot of She's All That and and say, <laughs> hey, this is gonna be gold? 
We also tried to put out, uh, well, we were trying to, because we knew we had that bet going, we were trying to put out episodes uh, in the downtime that, like, that, like, that we didn't have to directly be involved in. We went through, like, this really rigorous casting process for who could possibly replace us. Um, but we decided that nobody could possibly. And so then we turned to like AI voice match technology. Yes. And, okay. Uh, this, this bit I like better. Yeah. And we, and we were trying to, and we were trying to, and we, and we, we did, we did manage to like get the AI to like net to like match our voices really well, but, uh, we could not get them to stop saying, uh, problematic things. So I think we had to put the kibosh on that. Yeah, and there were some episodes we released where I called Richard Kelly a bad director and called him dumb. Right. And yeah, that was that the was AI all, talking. Yeah. That was yeah. Yeah, that was all AI. Yeah. Uh, and that was early on in the show. That was us running tests. Yeah. 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 So so thank you, so, Marcus. Okay. So that was two bits down. Do you wanna do you wanna it's put been, it's one been down? a long time. It's been a long, it's been time. A long time. What did we used to do on this show? What did we used to do? Well, we had several segments. Do, do, should we do the intro segments? Is that what we're doing now? Yeah, I, I think I think we get to our most beloved segment first, Marcelo. The one that has spun off uh, in at least one other show we've done since we've last talked. And I looked it up as Marcus was doing his bits. Well, were those the bits? Did you have any more? No, I think I think those were my two bits. One of them went over okay, and then the other one didn't didn't have anything at all. No, there's no juice. No juice, in that no juice attached <laughs> no to juice it. But I'll tell you, I'm holding some juice right now. Oh, okay. And hey, wait, wait. Don't reveal what it is yet, just yet, because we're going to open up the segment that we always do in the show. Hey, what you drinking? Uh, hey, what are you drinking? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> no, it's called Southland Ales. I remember. Southland Ales, yes. I remember. Um, it's It's the segment of the show where... We say we ask, what? "Hey, what you're drinking? What are we drinking? Yeah, it, it, it's all, it's all, it's all in there." Southland ales. Now, Marcus, turning to you first, you you hinted that you were holding juice. Can you be more specific? What exactly are you drinking on Southland ales? Uh, well, here, let me try to see if you can guess by the can crack. Ooh, that's an. Arizona iced tea, uh, Arnold Palmer. Let's say that's an Arizona Arnold Palmer. That's a great guess, Marcelo. Uh, on any given day, I could be drinking one of those. But Marcelo, I've got myself a Monster Energy drink. Here. Oh, you know what? Yeah, makes sense. A Marcus Irving would be drinking uh, a Monster Energy drink on a Richard Kelly podcast. <laughs> Uh, now, Marcus. Now, the yeah. What do you got? What do you got to drink? Marcel? Thank you for asking. I was trying to make you. Uh, 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 I was forcing you to ask me what I'm drinking. So, I've been drinking throughout the day, um, and I, I told we, I, I, me and Marcus uh, talked for 20 minutes before recording this, wondering if I would be well enough to 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 record tonight. You know, because I'm on my fourth beer. Uh, and I think the way that this first these first ten minutes have gone, I think that's still under question. <laughs> now, so what I'm drinking? So you've been drinking. I'm drinking a. So this is what I'm drinking: a pint house, a brewery, electric jellyfish, 
a hazy IPA. Now, have you heard about this, Marcus? That's just a quirky enough name for a little IPA, huh? Yeah, electric jellyfish. Is, is this the first time you're hearing about an electric jellyfish, Marcus? Of course, Marcelo. I know, no, the, there is no way I've heard about this before, Marcelo. Now, this, this is how snooty I am. Uh, I'm going on my 12th year living in Austin, Texas. Uh, I know, I've known about electric jellyfishes for years. Uh, that was my go-to drink at the Animal Draft House for several years until they raised the price to... Uh, where a, a, a guy like me who earns well enough to live in Austin, Texas, can no longer say I'll have an electric jellyfish at the Animal Draft House. They raise the rent is too damn high. I can't afford like a an eleven dollar electric jellyfish. No way. So what I like to do is I'll just buy them in cans and drink them at home, which is what I'm doing tonight. I'm on my fourth one. What is it like? Is it just a it's just a beer? Or yeah, it's, it's just an IPA. Is there something special about it? Uh, uh, it it's special in a way that... Um, Jelly? It's, it's from... Uh, I don't know. It's Fish? The, the name is quirky enough. Uh, the fact that it's like 6.5 alcohol by volume. Uh, a pretty hefty little beer. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a popular beer, I think, here in Austin, Texas. Uh, and also, Pinehouse Brewery is a nice uh, little brewery here in Texas. A local also, place. Yeah, it's it's a nice local place. Hometown I, pride, Marcelo. Uh, yeah, it says you're Austin, Texas, Texas boy. He supports yeah. all all goings on in Texas. I just looked it up. Pinehouse Brewery. Uh, it is a Texas uh, uh, landmark. It's a Texas foundation. It's a Texas business. So, folks listening, if you're ever in Texas. It's like the Alamo. You know what? It's more famous than the Alamo, if you ask me. Pint House Brewery? <laughs> you goddamn right. <laughs> this is the fourth one you've had today in yeah. the last uh, however many hours. Uh, uh, five hours. Five hours. So that's a, that's a rate of about 0. Uh, 0.8 cans per, wait, wait. per hour. Uh, each can is one pint. So that's 16 fluid ounces. Okay, 16 fluid ounces times four. Uh, you got 64 ounces of uh, liquid coursing through your veins. And uh, you feel great. I feel and great. we're having an episode. I feel like this is the best episode so far. So, like, what are, what, what are we doing here, Marcelo? We've come back from such a long break. We've got to have a big explosive episode to do, right? What we do is we have to go to the next segment uh, that we do in the intro. Uh, the- <laughs> There are at least two more segments. Segment? I, I don't Marcus, remember. There are at least. Oh, I, I, I remember this. one of them. I remember one of them. Marcus, I'm the drunk one. You should know this by heart. This is your favorite, you know. I, no, yeah, this is my favorite podcast. Yeah, this we, is your favorite podcast. I was, gonna, I was, I was <laughs> trying to say this is your favorite movie, but like, uh, no, but like, South Antilles is the, is, we should also say that at the beginning. Fuck, we're missing a big time. So South Antilles. The reason why we're doing this is because the, the show is called Have Nice Apocalypse. Because we're covering Richard Kelly and Southland Tales, and Marcus's favorite movie of all time is Southland Tales. And I like the movie, too. I think it's great. <sighs> <laughs> so what's, so when is the next segment? <laughs> we have one segment we must get That's right. to. 
we must open up Richard Kelly's Twitter page. The Richard Kelly News. So, yeah, Marcelo, we go to Richard Kelly's Twitter page. It's been a long time since we've been able to check it, right? Keep in mind, the last time we published an episode was September 13th, 2022. That long ago, huh? So we haven't looked at Kelly's Twitter page since I say late August, because I think we recorded that episode late August of 2022. What has he been tweeting about? What has he been retweeting? Let's go to the page. So, yeah, Marcelo, we're going to check in on Richard Kelly's Twitter feed. And we do have major, major, major news going on on Richard Kelly's Twitter feed. Since the last time we put out an episode with our lovely guest, Vera Drew. Yeah, uh, early September of, of 2022. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Marcelo, when we put that episode out, what happened, Marcelo? Okay. So, I, I'm looking back. I, I know I know what you're aiming for. All right? I, I just want to say that looking through... Uh, I don't remember bringing this up. Okay, let's go to September 2nd, 2022, and then we'll zip to the big news, okay? Uh, I don't remember talking about the fact that Richard Kelly retweeted the U.S. Open tennis account (laughs) that said uh, Serena... This was the big news. Yeah, this is the big news. (laughs) We're we're saying the big news up front, folks. Uh, 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 Richard Kelly has retweeted... The U.S. Open saying that Serena Williams held all four majors at the same time. Twice. That's crazy. That's really wild. September 2nd, 2022. After that, he retweeted a tweet from September 8th, my birthday. Nathan Rabin. Yeah, Nathan Rabin. Nathan Rabin says, I finally got around to watching. Thank you. I finally got around to watching the cons cut of uh, Richard Kelly Southland tells, and it is is an absolute masterpiece. I was blown away. And there's a link oh. to uh, Rabin's review of the cons cuts of Southland Tales. Yeah, so go, that, to, that go to NathanRabin.com. We're always here to support other Southland Tales heads. Uh, and, oh, and then and then next, uh, we have a New York Times Arts uh, retweet. Uh, mourning the death, the passing of uh, uh, one of our gr- the great filmmakers of all time, Jean-Luc Godard. Marcelo, name a Jean-Luc Godard movie. Uh, you have um, the uh, b- b- Breathless, right? Uh, and he also 500 did, Blows, is that him? Uh, or the 100 Blows, whatever. No, he did Breathless. He did that one. Uh, the Boy three, and the Bicycle? The 3D one. That nobody, Goodbye to Language. Uh, Goodbye to language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Uh, okay, I, I I have his filmography up, and hey, I'm an idiot. I, I haven't seen all these. You fucking um, moron. I you just fucking jackass. Well, 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 you, you call mean, yourself a film fan. Wait, so so you were saying before that the 400 Blows was a Jean Luc Godard film, right? I, I was guessing. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I'm fully admitting here. I'm 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 a I'm a I'm a I'm a whatever the word is. I don't I don't know anything about idiot. I'm an idiot. Yes. The 400 Blows is a Francis Truffaut movie. Okay. Ah, excuse me. Yes. A former guest of the show. Um, What? Jean-Luc Godard, though. What what did he direct? He directed the the 500 Blows, the sequel? He directed Breathless. He directed Band of Outsiders. He directed Alphaville. He directed Periol La Folle. He directed Masculine Feminine. He directed Weekend. 
Just to name a few. Any of those you've seen? Well, what's your favorite? What's your favorite Jean-Luc Godard? I'm going to be very upfront and say I don't think I've seen a single goddamn Jean-Luc Godard movie. Great. Okay, so Marcelo, <laughs> the big news, the biggest news possible. This is up next. No, there are two big things. One is bigger than the two, other, I think. Two biggest, two biggest newses ever on September uh, are happening 12th. right here on September twelfth. September twelfth, twenty twenty-two. The the day that we decided to that you decided to put up <laughs> the uh, on the website on our talkfilmsociety.com, You made a little special link for this show. Talkfilmsocialcom slash Southland Tales. Yeah, and that'll take you to to this podcast you're listening to right now. Just in case you want to re-listen to it. It was the week I published the last three episodes uh, of our last run. In we September. went out with a bang. We went out no. with three episodes in one week, folks. September 11th, I dropped episode 20. The Triple Crown. Uh, September 12th, I dropped episode 21. On with Alec Robbins, yes, with Alec uh, and, Robbins. and 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 the other one twenty had a uh, Tara and uh, uh, Thomas Marinara, yeah, and then September thirteenth I dropped, yeah, the one with uh, Vera Drew, uh, Vera episode twenty two, twenty two with Vera Drew. We did not. Oh my god, I just noticed that. That's funny. Yeah, I never. Uh, that's funny. Richard Kelly. Um, Richard Kelly Richard, retweeted Richard. The Richard Talk Film Society account. Uh, the official Talk Film Society account. I tweeted about Southland Tales and our little podcast, and Richard Kelly just went ahead and retweeted it. So That's look at so that. Cute. Yeah, it's That's it's so adorable. It's cute. Okay, it's adorable. <laughs> and then one day later, one day you must you must talk about this now because this is the big news. This is bigger than the last one. Okay, this is bigger than because Talk Film Society. It's it's a it's a corporation larger than us at this point. Yeah, and so like yes, we get we get happy when when it gets mentioned, like of course, but or when anything big <laughs> when anything big happens, um, like Marcelo just retweeting me right now, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but even more personally, I get really happy when something good happens to me, right? Yeah, you specifically, and so. Yeah, I tweeted about our episode with uh, Vera Drew. Uh, our great episode. You should go back and listen to it. Significantly better than this. Um, uh, her film, The People's Joker, still in lockdown, uh, but coming to a, a town near you soon, we hope. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I tweeted, uh, the end of our Southland Tales breakdown is here, and we we're honored to have the mega-talented Vera Drew 22 discuss with us the last episode of South, the last chapter of, of ST, Southland Tales, and at J. Richard Kelly, I added him, okay, so this may be a little you unclear. added Kelly? I added J. Richard Kelly. Who uh, I, who I don't and, follow, and, and who I'm going to follow right now. In, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> are you fucking kidding me, Marcella? <laughs> Marcus, I don't know why. I ha- I okay, this is this is very dumb of me. I don't know why I wasn't following the man. I just made that realization just now. Jesus follow Christ! Him right now, <laughs> there you go. I am following. Hey, are we following him on the Talk Film Society account? I'm pretty sure we are. You know what? Let me double check that. Uh, you, go get in there and uh, do that keep, if you uh, haven't. But anyway, keep talking. 
Discuss with us, Virgil uh, 22, discuss with us the, the last chapter of Southland Tales and how J. Richard Kelly's, uh inspired her brilliant debut future, The People's P- Feature, The People's Joker, premiering tonight at TIFF. I put a little uh, clown emoji at the end. So, yeah, this was the day that Vera Drew was supposed to premiere her film at TIFF, which she did. Uh, unfortunately, right after that, uh, we had, uh, she had some difficulties. She got a cease and desist from Warner brothers. Fuck you, Warner brothers. Fuck you. Uh, David Zaslav free the people's joker. We say, yes. And, uh, I think J Richard Kelly would be on our side. He's on the side of artists everywhere, but yeah, go back and listen to that episode. Richard Kelly put it out there. Uh, Vera Drew put it out there. They both have a sizable audience. Uh, we got a good amount of listens on that one. I think, right. And a lot of those people who listen to that are presumably listening to this and enjoying us right now. So thank yeah, you. I think we're going to have a hundred percent retention rate <laughs> after this episode for sure. I mean, for, after we took a six month break or yeah, whatever, seventh month break, and yeah. people who have had to listen through twenty minutes of us talking nonsense. I'm sure they're yeah. loving this. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but look, it's not all. Uh, it's not all about us. He still he reached he tweeted is. even more. We got more. Okay, yeah, we got more. So um, let's uh, here. I'll, 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 I'll zip through some of these. Uh, there was uh, an Academy Museum display uh, of the Donnie Darko suit, and uh, Richard Kelly Frank retweeted. Um, he retweeted ben, ben Roberts on September twentieth. Right, right there next to right there next to C three PO in that picture. Yeah, oh, I love to see that. That's awesome. And I think is oh that, oh and is that the shape of water guy behind him? Yeah, the shape of water dude. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. him. Uh, Doug that's Jones. Cool. Uh, I'm, I don't think Doug Jones is in the costume in that picture. Probably, think, probably not, not, but he could be. I don't think the corpse of Andrew Daniels is in the C-3PO um, <laughs> display there, but you never know. Okay, and then um, later on he does tweet. Oh, hey. this is uh, interesting. Later on he does tweet more um, Academy tweets. Saying, "Hey, yeah. look, uh, the rabbit uh, from Donnie Darko." And some people that like went to go see it. Yeah, they went to nice see little, it. Like, video videos. of the Academy. But uh, uh, amongst those tweets about the, the about Donnie Darko and that costume being on display at the Academy, Richard Kelly also retweeted a, a tweet saying, "The Killers brought out Bruce Springsteen for a three-song encore at Madison Square Garden, starting with I- the song Badlands." Genuinely, I love to see something like that. Like he seems to like really, su- and we'll get to a tweet later that uh, that confirms Stay this. Chisholm. But he seems to really support the people that uh, have helped him along the way. Because I mean, the Killers, famously, their song, uh, whatever it's called, was in uh, Southland Tales. <laughs> now, once again, to confirm, it's Marcus- not called. I'm not a. It's it's called. I'm not. It's not called. All these things that I've done. All these things that I've done by the Killers. It featured very prominently in Southland Tales. And they played with Bruce Springsteen at Madison Square Garden. Bruce! <laughs> what a night. Bruce. 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 The boss. New Jersey's own. The boss. Bruce Springsteen. So, yes, Richard so Kelly got some more, gives love yeah. to the killers. And uh, then bringing out Bruce. Uh, zipping along. Here's another tweet. Another retweet from Kelly. Justin Landsman, uh, here's the tweets that Richard Kelly tweeted, retweeted. Tonight, films from the margin will be screening the cons cut of Southland Tales in Emerson College's Anson Building, room 604 at 8 p.m. 
we will have a video introduction from at Woketress, and we will be programming. We we will be providing programs with art from at in the mood for hate. That rocks. I love I, I love I love I love seeing any time this film is screened. I think that rocks. That's awesome. Um, um, what's yeah, what's uh, what's the next one? Uh, there's one from Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro. He got to see Avatar The Way of Water early. <laughs> Naughty boy. Del Toro did, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and he's uh, congratulating. Uh, he's calling it a, a staggering achievement. Uh, a choke full... Uh, oh, it's, it's, uh, that was a little bit of a, um, a uh, typo. It's chock full of uh, majestic vistas and emotions at an epic, epic scale. A master at the peak of his powers. Yes. Which, Marcelo, uh, you've seen Avatar The Way of Water. Can you, can you agree or disagree? I can mostly agree uh, with Del Toro there. I think it's um, it's chock full of majestic vistas and emotions on an epic scale. Um, is it the master at the peak of his powers? No, I still think his peak is maybe like Terminator 2 or Aliens or even the Terminator. Those are his peaks. Okay, so Clayton Davis, he uh, Richard Kelly retweeted him. Uh, Good night, Oppie. Uh, uh, documentary director on the Mars selfie scene and getting Oscar-winning Dune sound designer on board. So that was probably something. Um, Good night, Opie. A, a documentary that was primed to get an Oscar nomination, but did not make the documentary shortlist this year. So awkward. Unfortunately, we're sorry. We're awkward. <laughs> okay, you retweeted Dan Coy's, uh Everyone knows the story of Tar, right? She gets swept up in cancel culture and down she falls. But I think there's something spooky going on. My possibly crackpot, clo- super close read of this remarkable ghost story. So Tar, Lydia, she's out there. Um, Lydia Tar, if you're out there, if you if you want to come on, the come show, on the show. Oh my god! Imagine if oh god, if we get Lydia, Lydia Tar. Tar on this oh show, oh my god, that'd be so good. That'd be so good for our numbers. Um, he retweeted Vanity Fair, uh, a, a Vanity Fair review of Emily the Criminal. Uh, Aubrey Plaza says it takes four years to make it's not a review. Aubrey Plaza says it takes four years to make Emily the Criminal. I wanted to make it bigger because it really is an action movie. It is not um, an action movie. No, I don't. I, no, and I wouldn't say it was that big either. No, it's a movie, a but I liked it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a good it's movie. really good. Yeah, I, we've we've talked about yeah. this. On the show before, how um, Richard Kelly has retweeted something on Emily the Criminal before. And I mentioned I saw it in the theater, I think, back last summer. Uh, since then, I think you've seen it too, Marcus. Um, we both agree. Mm-hmm. It's good. Totally. Um, and then, along with the rest of us, Richard Kelly uh, RT'd a few tweets uh, bemoaning the death of uh, uh, the beautiful Angela Badalamenti, uh, the the score of many of David Lynch's projects, um, including Twin Peaks. Um, uh, let's do a quick role play. What would what would what would happen if Angelo Badalamenti <laughs> oh, and Lydia Tarr were to meet? <laughs> okay, who do you want to be? <laughs> no, no, we're not doing let's this. Do this. <laughs> no. Okay, so, so uh, he also so, retweeted so, dates uh, in movies. December 16th, 1976, Norma Lewis awakes to find a strange delivery at her doorstep. Later, a strange man appears who explains every time she presses the button in the box, she receives $1 million, but someone she does not know will die in J. Richard Kelly's The Box. 
He retweeted that on December 16th. Now, this is the first time I'm hearing that the box takes place in 1976. That surprised me, too. I've seen the movie, but again, it was when it came out in 2010 or something. I was probably 15 when I saw it. Mm -hmm. Oh, the next one. Uh, can I read the next one? So the next uh, yeah, Richard, Richard Kelly retweet. I know you're holding back tears right now, Marcus. I could sense it. Rolling Stone tweets, SNL's Cecily Strong got emotional during her goodbye, saying through tears, it's just my time now. I feel really lucky that I got to have so many of the best moments of my life in this place with these people that I love so much. Now, I haven't seen SNL in 10 years. <laughs> but I love Cecily Strong. I I have uh, Cecily Strong is she's one, a beautiful soul. She's an amazing person. Um, I'm honestly no bullshit. Very glad she's broken away from the tyranny that is SNL. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to seeing more Cecily Strong projects. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, final the final, the final Richard tweet. Kelly retweet. Oh my god, the final thing we were talked there. About on the we made it. Then, oh my god. Okay, keep uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Mike Ryan. He says, I've become obsessed with the 70 minutes of d recently discovered deleted scenes on the new Planes, Trains, and Automobiles 4K to the point I wrote about how one scene completely changes the entire ending of this movie everyone knows so well and loves. Marcelo. Oh, here we go. We're going to get into it. We're going to Marcello. get into it right now. This is it. I am. I the, am. Mike. I'm Mike pumped. here. Mike here makes a bold assumption. Yeah, this is actually very bold. I can say for sure. Does everybody? Everyone does everybody knows and loves okay. planes, trains, and automobiles. I think one of those things is true. Not both. I think everybody knows of planes, trains, and automobiles. I don't think everybody loves planes, trains, and automobiles. Who's got two big thumbs and is pointing at himself and saying, I don't love planes, trains, and automobiles. Who's that? It's you. It's me. I don't like it. I don't, th I don't think it's a good movie. Maybe these 70 minutes of deleted fucking scenes make it a better movie. But, uh, Marcella, it's one of the most bored, uh, maybe the most bored I've ever been watching a movie is planes, trains, and automobiles. I don't agree with that, really. I think it's just an okay movie. I really didn't like it the first time I saw it, then I saw it again last november and i thought it was okay all right we can move on yeah maybe i'll watch it again and think it's fine it's fine but when i watched it at like 17 or whatever i was like uh need to turn this shit off and my mother agrees with me she doesn't like it either hey this th this will tease the next segment marcus if if we're segment to believe yes yeah, uh, yeah, segment two of the show coming up we've done this uh, uh episode for about 50 minutes can you imagine there's at least another hour left <laughs> Marcus, do you want to confirm right now in saying that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a favorite movie of Richard Kelly's? Oh, I'm 100% certain of it. Why, why would he bother retweeting that tweet? Right. Unless he loves uh, deleted footage. Well, I bet he does. As a filmmaker, as a film historian. Um... That news is always exciting. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I don't care what movie it is. It is pretty exciting. Hey, we found seventy minutes of deleted footage from a beloved movie. Like that's that's pretty cool. All right, so I did a quick search as Marcus was babbling on there. Uh, Richard Kelly, <laughs> December twenty sixth, two thousand nine. Richard Kelly tweets: Just finished 
watching planes, trains, and automobiles on cable. What an amazing film. So well made. So we got confirmation from Richard Kelly. It's one of my favorite movies, too. I love Um, it, too. It's a five out of five. It's a masterpiece. Uh, If I said anything different uh, earlier, I was lying. All right. Definitely. We agree. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Classic. Um, All right. So this is it. End of segment one. The uh, the glorious return of Have a Nice Apocalypse. Yeah. And I think we're going to take a break. (laughs) That's what I was going to do. Thank you, Marcus. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we're here to talk about. Uh, I'm not even going to say <laughs> what it is. We haven't said it. Yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's for you to find out. So we're going to take a break, right? We're going to take a break, and we'll talk about about whatever we've got to talk about. When we'll talk about whatever we're going to talk about on the next segment. So stay tuned. <laughs> What a break! Uh, I, I've sober, I've sobered up. It, it's been six hours uh, since we <laughs> took that break. Uh, yep. Drank a lot Over of water. Uh, went out for a Drink run. A little water. Yeah. Get uh, down tonight. Black coffee. So I'm sober. I'm black completely coffee. coherent enough to record this second part, this segment two. That's why, right, folks. Coffee. We're doing Kelly's faves. Volume two. Kelly's faves. Volume two. Volume two of Kelly's favorite films I've ever made. Now, Marcus, I want you to I want you to explain what exactly we're doing here. Yeah. So, um, long ago, um, in a time May of twenty twenty two. May twenty twenty two. We did an episode called Kelly's Faves Part One. Uh, where we uh, did some digging, did some research, uh, inspired by something that I'll talk about in a second. Um, tried to figure out what some of Kelly's favorite, Richard Kelly's favorite movies were. And not just his favorite movies, but movies that have been referenced inside of his movies, such as Evil Dead. So yeah, our first episode, we covered Evil Dead, The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, Kiss Me Deadly in Brazil. And we didn't do Kiss Me Deadly. Brazil, Last Temptation of Christ, Evil Dead. Is that and it? We had Twin we Peaks had the Return. One. Twin Peaks the Return. Yes. So uh one of those might sound odd to you. But Evil Evil Dead was inside of Donnie Darko. Um Brazil uh He um, loves Brazil. Richard, he he yeah, he loves Brazil. He he considers that a major uh influence on his Last Temptation of Christ, also inside of Donnie Darko. Twin Peaks the Return, I sp- specifically wanted to cover because he brought it up in that uh is it french video store yeah there's uh, a french video store it's called the combini video club i think they do uh walkthroughs of uh of their store kind of like the criterion closet um and they have celebrities pick out movies and talk about them and such um we were going through that um uh, naming the movies off that uh he had picked up and talked about a little uh on the last episode he picked up uh you know the favorites and neon demon and such yeah and one of the things he picked up was twin peaks the return and he called it like a masterpiece or whatever and so like even though it's not 
necessarily uh, movie, movies that that's something that like maybe inspired his movies uh, because he hasn't made anything since Twin Peaks The Return. We're still like, we know he loves it. And uh, if we see anything, when we see something more from him in the future, uh, you know, Twin Peaks The Return might have a little bit of influence on whatever that project is, you know? He's definitely a Lynch fan. So I, I'd say... He's so Lynchian. I'd say worth enough to mention the connection between Lynch and Richard Kelly, which we might talk about in the future. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, um, but now volume two. So now, now we get to more. But before we Kelly's do that, faves. Oh, before we do that, I was running down Twitter. every, I was, no, we're not going back to Twitter. <laughs> let's talk to Lydia uh, we, Tarr. Lydia, what do you think about we, Kelly's picks? We, uh, <laughs> we were running down all the things. We were running down all the movies that he picked up in that Combini video club video. And the last celebrities like uh, um, Lydia Tarr, for instance, come in and pick out her favorite movies. So um, uh, last episode, we ended off with Domino, I believe. And uh, I was kind of skipping around a little bit. So if I end up going over another movie, uh, forgive me. One that I already talked about, forgive me. But uh, we ended off with Domino last time, I believe. Uh, this time uh, he picked up uh, he picked up the film Witness. Which is uh, not to spoil anything, but that's that's pretty interesting. But look at the description of this podcast episode. He picked up Southland Tales, and uh, now that one's pretty special to to me, uh, to us, oh. to you, Marcelo, to, to, to this show in general, um, really? for reasons that. Yeah, I I think uh, I think Southland Tales is pretty important to the DNA of this podcast. Interesting. And I did write down everything he had to say about the movie. So get into it. Okay, so when he picked up Southland Tales, uh, he said, I had the time of my life making this film, and it's all because of this guy right here. He made it happen. And he's pointing to uh, The Rock. Oh. Uh, they asked him what he learned from making the movie. He said, I learned definitely don't take your movie to a film festival before it's finished. Uh, that was a very difficult time, but time heals all wounds. I got Dwayne Johnson on the red carpet in competition at Cannes, so I think it was all worth it. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, he goes on to say that the film was about 9-11 anxiety. It was meant to be cathartic, and it's a very angry film. The comedy and use of anger that the film presents is more digestible now, and hopefully we'll see more of this. Uh, more of this. We're, re- we're looking to revisit that film in a really exciting way. We'll see. We'll see. That's fascinating, and right? He's been teasing that for like five years now. It seems like we're longer. A very long time, yeah. So we shall see indeed. There's been We no, all know. There's been no announcements. I mean, we would have covered that in Kelly News. Oh, yeah. We definitely we would have thrown out the tweets thing entirely <laughs> and only talked about that, I think. Uh yeah, but uh he is uh yeah, for a very long time he said he's not a hundred percent or like that he he loves the movie, he's happy with the movie, but he just wants there to be more of it, clearly. And yeah, we uh we wish that as well. Uh, he picked up Magnolia, one of my favorite movies. Marcelo? I love Magnolia. He picked up Barry Lyndon. Oh. Uh, and he called it the most beautiful film ever made aesthetically. Now, now that's is, something. is that sh- is, uh, a wonder what? 
somebody like Marcus Irving would think of that, or somebody like Marcelo Pico. I don't know. Would, I, I don't, don't know. know. Well, Let's maybe, move on. Uh, Zodiac. He picked up Zodiac, my favorite Fincher film. Uh, he picked up Memento. A great Christopher Nolan film. Uh, he talked about his relationship with Nolan a little bit. Um, he says that he feels kind of uh, entwined with uh, Nolan a little bit because of both of them were showing at the same Sundance. And uh, was it Memento that was showing at that same Sundance, or was it uh, might have been Following? It was Donnie Darko it, and whatever. It, was it, it would have been Memento. Yeah. yeah, Donnie Darko and Memento. They showed at the same Sundance, and they were both like struggling both movies like neither nobody wanted to pick it up and uh in my head i think of kelly is he oh th- this is my own conjecture uh <laughs> in my that i must have written down at the time <clears throat> i said in my head i think of kelly as a young guy still but he isn't he's a contemporary of nolan who i think of is much older and uh i think that's just because uh they that uh nolan has done significantly more than kelly uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you are. Christopher Nolan's made a lot of great movies. I'm not going to say yes. Now it says here, I did a quick search, as I as I do while you uh, ramble on and on, Marcus. Uh, I stumbled on an article that says, Donnie Darko director reveals how one Christopher Nolan tip made the film easier to follow. Now, not going to be the whole thing, but yes, there's that connection. Uh, yeah. uh, speed reading through this. Uh, they make reference to the Ringer's in-depth oral history of Donnie Darko and how Christopher Nolan and his wife, uh, producer Emma, T- Emma Thomas, uh, they suggested, they said, hey, uh, why don't you add uh, a parenthetical title card uh, that says October 1988 and then add to it 20 days remain. God, that, that is the genius that only a Christopher Nolan could bring. His obsession with time, it's time. goes back even as far as that. I mean, hey, when we do our Christopher Nolan retrospective, uh, uh, you know, revving up to Oppenheimer, we're going to get into it. We're going to record an episode backwards. We're going to... Uh, uh, ex- we're going to slow down an episode to six hours long. Uh, we're going to watch. We're going to record a commentary for Tenet again. This time, watching it backwards we're gonna and forwards. Have, we're going to uh, be simultaneously recording three different podcasts at once that are all going to like meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like one will be a minute, one will be five, one will be thirty minutes, one will be two hours, and then they'll all sync up at the same time. Yeah. We're going to knock each other out and then tattoo each other. Yeah, <laughs> with a bunch of cryptic messages. You're gonna take a picture, a Polaroid picture of Marcus, and then write on it, uh, "Do not believe his lies." Uh, we're gonna do all this in preparation for Oppenheimer uh, for our Nolan retrospective. So yeah, stay tuned. We have opinions on Nolan, and you'll hear them. So all right, yeah. continue, Marcus. Um, and uh, uh, the last one I'm going to mention here, we'll save the we'll save the final third uh, for our part three, Marcelo, I, I hate to give it away, but we're going to do another one of these. <laughs> um, and, uh, he picked up La Jete. What? <laughs> he picked up La Jete. La Jete. Who, who directed that? Uh, Chris Marker. Oh, wait, hold on. This is the basis of 12 monkeys. Yeah. Uh, I know what this is. I have seen this. Yes. This is a, Sorry, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, Marcus? But yes, La Jete 
is a silent 28 minutes uh, uh, short film that is the basis of 12 Monkeys and is a time travel movie. Very experimental, very, I mean, it's very much worth, worth watching. So good job, Richard Kelly. You, you, yeah, you, you, uh, you picked a weird one. Great job, Richie. And uh, I think the last thing I'll say here is I thought it was very cute. I don't know if I mentioned this in the first time. I don't think I did, though. I think I was going to save it for whatever reason. But I thought it was a very cute little detail when he walked into the movie, th- when he walked into the movie uh, video store. house, video store, he, <laughs> they had faced um, all of the X-Men films behind him, including X-Men, the last stand, the movie he could have directed, oh. which seems a little uh, weird. A little cheeky. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, ad- it's cheeky, but it's also kind of like, Hey dude, you could have directed this movie. And I, I don't know how I feel about that necessarily. Now but it is a little cheeky, a cheeky crunch. When you brought up Nolan, I thought to myself, "What would have happened if, like, let's say Kelly ended up doing The Last Stand, but it ended up being like his Batman Begins, and he ended up doing like two more X Men movies." And then he went to go do like what Nolan did after that, like his own, like, you know, wild blockbusters filmed in IMAX uh, that were basically, you know, uh, uh, unbridled visions of like his own artistic, uh, 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 like, like dreams. That'd be a weird weird timeline to be in if, if we're all hyped up for Richard Kelly's new movie this summer. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. I'm putting you on the spot. What would Richard Kelly's like Oppenheimer be? Uh, well, I was going to say he's supposed to be working on a Rod Sterling, Sterling okay, well, biopic. Yeah. That's the answer. So that's like, it. I, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it. it's that. Yeah. yeah I, I think that ties in nicely like with the cosmic dread of that show, you know. So, <clears> so yeah. we'd all be waiting for the July release of like Sterling filmed in IMAX. Mm. God, imagine that. Um, God, do I want that? Yeah, because that 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 does mean that Southland Tales doesn't exist, or it existed later, but it yeah, it wouldn't you know, be the film that it is. So yeah, that it, you know, I, I think he would have made his Southland Tales, but it would have been after kind of like making these like uh, high budget blockbusters for you know yeah. a big studio, and then eventually, because like, again, yeah, that's what Nolan did. Nolan. Uh, well, even in the middle of like him making the Dark Knight movies, he made Inception. So I'm I'm guessing, but but these are all big, high concept movies that could still be sold to an audience. Southland Tales can't be sold to anybody, and I don't think Nolan's done that since 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 like how you said, like everything he's done since uh, the Prestige or whatever has been pretty populist movies, and I don't want that for Richard. Okay, you know? but let me. Uh, we don't need to dive any further into this because I could talk about this for hours. But do you? Uh, I don't think, and this is just my opinion. I don't think they're necessarily populist. Or how about this? I very much think if more people uh, watched Southland Tales, they realize like, oh, this guy is actually a visionary. And I say visionary in the way people say Chris Nolan is a visionary. Because I, even something like Interstellar, I don't think is like, it's not easy to digest. But people do like that movie a lot 
because it's a Nolan movie. He became like a property. He became a brand. Yeah. So that's why Kelly ended up doing like three really good X Men movies. Maybe he would have become a brand. And he, and if he released his Southland Tales like either in the middle of that trilogy or like later, I think people would have been like, you know what? We like this guy. Richard Kelly is his own thing. Yeah. He has a vision. He has a voice. Uh, give him more money. Make him do these wild projects. I think he has that in him to. Because I don't. Again, I'll just say this: If more people watched Southland Tales, they'd be they'd realize like, oh, this guy. It, it, it's easy to get on his wavelength, but just people don't realize that. <sighs> Man, that feels like wishful thinking. It does. I'm a very hopeful person. I. Mm. The, the, but yeah. this is a society. You're, you're that Mr. Does not Sunshine. Exist. This is a society that is does not exist. We live in a terrible uh, world. Speaking of the killers, uh, <laughs> you're Mr. Brightside. <laughs> All right. Is uh, that so, the end? Yeah, that's the end of the Combini Video Club segment. Uh, and I think it's time to get into, uh, as you like to say, the big honking meat of patty show. of this sandwich. This is it. Yeah. So this is, we've picked four movies this time, definitely made before uh, his last movie. Uh, no, no Twin Peaks The Returns here. Nothing screwy going on in this one. No, we might as well just say them now. We picked four. Yeah. Here they are. All the President's Men. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Barry Lyndon. And Witness. Those Should are the we, films. Let's get into it. We're, we're already about 90 it. minutes let's dive. in. Let's, let's, let's just jump yeah, into let's, this let's, goddamn let's, thing. Let's fucking deep dive into these films right now. Speaking of deep. All the President's Men. First up on the... <laughs> speaking of deep. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Very good, Marcelo. God, you're a clever guy. Let's I get this off so the table. Let's I get this you. off the table. Let's get this off the table. Before recording, I, 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 I looked Marcus right into the eyes, into his soul, through this mic. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see yeah. him on video. I just asked him directly, why are we doing this? <laughs> Why are we yeah, doing? And I didn't remember. All the presidents. <laughs> Marcelo figured it out. <laughs> but the reason why we're doing it, I think, and maybe there's more to this. Uh, well, actually, I did find something. So, I, in me asking, I did look it up and I did find a connection. But at first, I was like, but, "Why are we doing all yeah. the presidents, men? Is there a reason?" And yeah, the, one and reason the, is what is what, Marcus? Uh, in the in the the only reason we had at the time to do this was because, again, we're tying into not just movies that we know inspired him, but movies that that are referenced in his films. And all the presidents men uh, is about the is about Watergate, and there is a character in Southland Tales played by Nora Dunn. Um, and when she is extorting or trying to extort uh, the vice president for uh, money to make her uh, documentary about Iran or whatever, she uh, she goes by the, the undercover alias Deep Throat 2 and uh, Deep Throat famously uh, from uh, Watergate. Yes. Um and Deep Throat, yes, a real the whistleblower. Yes, the, the real life whistleblower known as Deep Throat. Got got the name from the 1972 uh, pornographic film Deep Throat. Um, that's the one connection we had to begin with. But then I guess I'll say this now. I'm not gonna. We're we're, we're about to dive right into all the presidents men. But I also saw this tweet from Richard Kelly from 2018 uh, that says second viewing of that film, and that film being The Post. Steven Spielberg's The Post. Second viewing of The Post is essential. 
very well constructed. And yeah, the ending feels like a nod to Pakula. So Pakula directed All the President's Men. And if you haven't seen the post, the post at the very end, uh, there's basically a a sort of like MCU type cliffhanger where uh, the the, the Watergate break-in happens. And then after that, we're led to believe that All the President's Men uh, uh, happens, the, the events of All the President's Men. So the post in in and of itself is like a prequel to All the President's Men, and of course uh, we can we can we can decipher here that Richard Kelly is a fan of Pakula uh, and All the President's Men. So there you go. That's the connection. We did yeah. it. So Marcus, I'm going to turn to you right now. Tell me about All the President's Men. Tell me about. Your have you seen this before? Is this your first time? Your general thoughts on it? Let's open up. This was my first time watching all the president's men. Get the <clears> fuck out <throat> of <Okay>. here. <laughs> Directed by Alan J. Pakula in 1976. It's about two green reporters and rivals working for the Washington Post. Bob Woodward, played by Robert Redford, and Carl uh, Bernstein, played by uh, Dustin Hoffman. They researched the botched 1972 burglary of the Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate apartment complex. With the help of a mysterious source, codenamed Deep Throat, played by Hal Holbrook, the two reporters make a connection between the burglars and a White House staffer. Despite dire warnings about their safety, the duo follows the money all the way to the top. Uh, the, that's that's my synopsis that I just came up with um, off the cuff uh, for uh, yeah for all the presidents men. Uh, this movie's fucking brilliant. It really is. It's amazing. Uh, this is it's incredible. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's riveting. It's uh, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I was like, oh my god, are they gonna are they gonna bring down um, old Tricky Dick this time? Can they get him? And uh, in the end, they did. Spoiler alert: They got Tricky Dick. Um, but no, I, I, I do. I, uh, this movie is great. I, I saw this it's for fantastic. the first time uh, years and years ago. I think it was in high school when I first saw All the Persons Men, and then seeing it again for the first time in maybe over a decade uh, uh, for this show. I'm like, oh yeah, this is like so amazingly directed the split diopters yeah. in this for sure it's like maybe some of my favorite uses of the split diopter uh i'm saying please correctly. explain that the split diopter uh is when you have uh uh in front of your camera lens you have a uh, it's you have another lens essentially in front of it where now you have uh Sort of like the, the the ability to see at two focus points, so you can see. Um, and and I'm not going to get into like focus uh, when it comes to lenses here, but with certain times or certain types of lenses, you can only focus on one thing at a time, distance wise. So you can either like yeah. see something far away, close <clears throat> up, but with the split diopter, uh, you have the capability of like seeing something in a far away distance and something close up. So that's so, so that uh, you're like, huh? What is, it, it gives you the ability to like. There's like one scene where um, Robert Redford is on the phone, and this may be my favorite scene in my favorite scene of the entire movie. He's on the phone with somebody, uh, trying to get you know to the bottom of like something uh, uh, relating to Watergate. I forget exactly what, uh, but then you, you see him like on the right of the frame in focus and then to the left of the frame 
also in focus behind him, like several feet away, you have these reporters in the office watching uh, this television uh, and some, some news is coming up. And you see these reporters like huddling around the, the, the TV as also like Robert Redford is like getting to the bottom of something. Like you're, you're focused on Redford and what he's saying, but then you're also focused on what's happening in the background. Like the, the, like the news, like you're like, what, what exactly is happening back there? Why are they get it, gathering around this? Why are they getting so excited? And then the genius of the shot is it continues on as Robert Redford's on the phone. You're more, like Marcus was saying, this, put, this puts you on the edge of your seat. I was like, I was riveted by what Redford was saying on the phone with this person. And in one continuous take, you see the camera zoom in on Redford and away from, you know, the, the background shot. And the split diopter shot becomes just a single shot of Redford on the phone. And you're completely focused on what Redford is saying on the phone now. So that's a brilliant use of, like, the split, the split diopter, the two focuses, uh, the single take, uh, just Robert Redford acting on, like, on the line, on the phone with somebody. All of it is perfect. I love this particular shot. I love this entire movie. Um, that's what I think about. That's what I think of all the presidents, presidents men. I can see why this is Kelly's presumably one of his favorites. Yeah. This is one of his faves. Uh, I, one of <clears throat> uh, the, the political thriller can get kind of bogged down in uh, trying to give you too much information, trying to explain things to you. Like you're uh, like you like know nothing about the situation and uh, a lot of exposition. And, uh, they don't do that here. Uh, they really don't. They they leave you to. They trust that the. I mean, this was in 1976. It wasn't that far off from the scandal itself. But they they trust that like you can bring, you can fill in your own gaps. You have this information of what happened exactly. And uh, we're just going to tell the story of how these two reporters. We're just going to show them in the act, um, making all types of phone calls, putting together little pieces. Uh, there isn't literally like one of those uh, boards tied together with the red string or whatever connecting all the pieces, but like you kind of, it feels like that, you know, the, the film evokes that a lot without ever telling you too much, without ever insulting your intelligence, without, it, it, it really is like a perfectly made movie, I feel like it's really so well paced uh there there are scenes of like really high tension and even even just boring office calls become like really uh again the word riveting um yeah some uh, some of the best yeah. on the phone acting i've ever seen like it oh, dustin yeah. hoffman oh, does it redford Holy redford shit, does it man uh, it's, it's amazing and okay and, and we can get into uh why richard kelly likes this movie Again, yeah, we got to try to connect this to his to his shit. Because like this for sure feels like sort of like the political intrigue he's totally into. Because like definitely comparing this to Southland Tales or like putting them side by side politically. I mean, it's about a conspiracy. It's about these players in high places uh, sort of getting away with uh, uh, these like high crimes, and these little guys down below piecing it together. And it is, in the end, kind of, they kind of end the same way where that classic line from all the President's Men, it's like, I hey, follow the money. It's like, who is funding yeah. these these acts? Like, who is putting these people in power? And you see that in Southland Tales, right, Marcus? Like, who, in the end, 
is like pulling the strings in Southland Tales, the guy with all the money. Yeah, and then also like again, neither of us are well versed in the box. Marcel has never seen it. I haven't. I've seen never it seen the box. No. Over a decade, but uh, set in the seventies, I would not be surprised. If there's some political stuff in there. Uh, we are uh, terrible Richard Kelly fans. Do we see any Donnie Darko influence? Um, hmm. Well, okay. I mean, uh, pol- again, politically, uh, sure. You can say that setting Donnie Darko in the eighties during the election. Yeah, the Reagan years. It's the Reagan very, years. Uh, uh, as a uh, is is a uh, is a good old is good old uh, uh, George Senior uh, Bush Senior getting elected or like that's the election that's that's happening Dukakis and and George H uh, W Bush yeah is, is that the setting for Denny Darko it is yeah yeah I, I know, somebody says I voted for Dukakis in the in the movie I think yeah um, but yeah it's set around that time uh, eighty eight I think. Uh, and or eighty eight or eighty seven, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, fucking Republicans. And it's all about the Republicans. These fucking guys. Am I right, Marcus? Republicans. Richard Nixon is a Republican. Hey, Reagan's a Republican. George Senior's a these Republican. Guys are the worst. Who's a Republican in Southland Tales? And, and a loss of innocence too. Uh, 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 our country used to stand for something. Yeah. Um. Okay, Marcel. I think that's all I have to say on the president's <laughs> man. I, I have a few. Th- I have a few more things to say. Go ahead. Uh, uh, in the last like two years, I managed to see uh, uh, Alan Pakula's um, a few a few of his other films, specifically Clute and the Parallax View, and along with all the President's Men and Clute and the Parallax View, uh, that is known as like Pakula's Paranoia Trilogy. Uh, and I highly recommend to the listeners and Marcus. Because I, I, I'm going to wager a guess you haven't seen either Clute or Parallax View. Right, Marcus? Uh, no, I'm an asshole. No. I recommend those movies. I'm not calling you an asshole, Marcus, for not seeing the movies. Because I just saw them for the first time in like the last two years. So, Clute, Parallax View, they're both on Criterion uh, on Blu-ray. I don't know if they're on the channel. Uh, hopefully, all the pres- all the president's men gets on uh, uh, the Criterion, uh, gets in the Criterion collection because I think that that deserves it too. Um, anyway, Clute Parallax trilogy, you. right? Nice yeah. little box set. Nice little paranoia trilogy box set from Criterion. That'll be nice. But no, like Clute Parallax View also covers the same sort of like okay. you know uh, 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 pre and post just decline of American politics. And the decline of American, basically, trust in the system overall, especially Parallax View. Like, that's that's a, an all-timer, like, downer 70s thriller. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing. So, yeah, check out Clue Parallax View. Uh, Pakula, great director. I haven't seen much of his other things. I have not seen Sophie's Choice. Sophie's Choice. I have not uh, seen Pelican Brief. I have not seen Devil's Own. Devil's Own. Um, hmm. But hey, from what I've seen, he's pretty amazing. And uh, if you really want to mess yourself up, uh, do what I did and look up how he passed away. Uh, you'll stay up uh, all hours of the night thinking about that. So there you go. That's that's all the presents, man. We can move on, Marcus. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
Holy shit. That is some Final Destination shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Very, very, very sorry. That, uh, that yeah. is tragic. That is yeah. insanity. Um, that was bad. So our next film is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, sorry. Directed by Sammy Fableman. Um, yes. Sam Fableman. So, Marcelo, uh, this was also my first time seeing this. I am a fake film fan, of course. I do have a lot of gaps in my film history knowledge, and and, and, and uh, I this is the reason why I really like doing this series because I I had not seen Brazil, I had holes. not seen Last Temptation. Uh, I like I like like really stuffing my holes deep, and uh, yeah, it was really good to finally see Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, it's a uh, it's uh, look uh, what what are we gonna say, Marcelo? It's another great movie, right? It's a scare. It's a scary movie. I, this this movie scared me. It really did, like in a deep way, where I was like really off put by the whole thing. Expand I, like, on that. I, I know. Well, hold on. Before you expand on that, I'll say this. So, I think I know what you mean uh, in terms of it being disturbing. But I want to hear more on that in a bit. As a kid, I'll say this. I was sort of obsessed with uh, UFOs, aliens. I know I've talked about this on a podcast before, but... The truth is out there, Marcella. Yeah, you're right, Marcus. The truth is out there. And I watched The X-Files as a kid. So watching The X-Files as a kid also really, you know, uh, uh, heightened my fear of these little green men. Uh, So much so that, like this like fake movie that's like this faux documentary about an alien invasion uh uh about these aliens like breaking into this like family's home like shot on home video i think either like pre blair witch uh or like maybe right after blair witch but that freaked me out as a kid they 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 showed that like on fox on like a thursday night and I that's that's like scarred me uh, for for years. So yeah, Little Green Men freaked me out. And yeah, the uh, the opening of this movie, uh, not the opening, like the first like th- th- hour of this movie, deals with deals with like these forces that literally come and like take people. <laughs> so that's frightening. The, the the scene where the little kid gets taken, scary as hell. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, scene. Got you two marks, but expand on on you being freaked out by this movie. Uh, oh man, I, I don't know if this is necessarily the read he's trying to give off, but I, th- there's there's a few different modes of Spielberg. There's there's your classic kind of fun blockbuster of your your Raiders of the Lost Ark, your uh, Crystal Skulls, and then there's like these uh, kind of uh, political movies, uh, you know, Bridge of Spies, uh, uh, The Post. Uh, like he's got these kind of political. Uh, drama thrillers and then uh, and then there's also these like existential like sad films that like are unnerving really unnerving and i think like the fablemans to me is one of those films uh and i think uh ai is kind of one of those films that, like they ask uh, he he is so good at like telling dark truths that i don't it's t- it's really t- tough to explain, but I think Close Encounters of the Third Kind is one of these films where like 
I, I just felt kind of dread the entire time. I was scared. I, I thought the alien, like I felt like I was a, I felt like I was eight years old watching this where I was like, Oh my God. Or like the, they, they, like the, 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 this is really happening. The aliens are real. They're uh, coming down to beam people up. Uh, what, what, why, why are they here? What, 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 what are they doing? Uh, and they, there's the terrifying scene of like the, the kid in his house, uh, um, with his mother, uh, every scene with that damn kid, that damn kid was so good where it's just like, you're naturally afraid of what would happen to the child. And, uh, you just don't know. And, and the movie builds it up like really perfectly. I think for like two hours, you're just like one, both in wonder and in, in, and in like uh dread of like what could be happening here. What, what, oh, and, and, um, Richard Dreyfuss is like, total loss of of who he is uh, of total totally becomes upset not even not, it doesn't even feel obsessed it's like possessed he becomes possessed and forced to like m- craft these little sculptures i'd always heard about the mashed potato scene and i did not know that it was like like a fucked up scene <laughs> like it's like it's like a scary family drama moment where you're like uh like uh like what the hell is happening with dad? What's wrong with dad? Yeah, um, that that stuff is harrowing, especially when uh, Dreyfus's character uh, goes in the bathtub or one scene, right? Like and and yeah, and just like like pours just water on water. himself, yeah, yeah, and like the kid is like the kid screams at him and says, yeah. I, forget, "I forget what he says," but he like slams the door. That feels too real to me. That's 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 a tough scene to watch. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it feels super real, and like him calling back to his childhood that we see in the Fablemans. Yeah. Like it, he did not have a very well-adjusted childhood, and it, it it feels like it comes from a very real place. This, uh, but he connects it to the paranormal, and uh, anyway, at the end of the film, we we kind of learn maybe there is nothing to be afraid of. Um, we aren't alone in the universe, and that's not that that and like. But that's not a bad thing uh, because, like, at the end of the movie, everybody's crowded around the the spaceship that's come down to land, and they're they're met peacefully. They're not aiming. Oh, I, I guess I probably saw the special touched up edition or whatever without the guns or whatever. But it's not like the no. army is aiming guns at them, ready to fucking blow them up, like which is what would happen in real life. They're. Uh, everybody's just kind of there and it's, it's people from all walks of life. It's scientists. It's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, nobodies who have been touched, uh, who have been reached out to, um, by, by these forces and, uh, brought here and, uh, and they, they commune with the aliens and become one with them. It's so man, it's a fucking weird movie. I dig it a lot though. I'm pretty sure you were having a dig at Steven Spielberg when you said uh, uh, they, they uh, you don't know what version you watched. Maybe they took the guns out. Yes, referencing the E.T. special edition. That's E.T. Oh, e. I thought it was this movie. Oh, okay. It's so E.T. You, so Sorry. You weren't, you weren't I, I really didn't. You, you were just though. wrong. Marcus, you were wrong. I haven't seen E.T. You haven't seen E.T. at all? Shut up. What the hell are we doing here? Shut up. We all we all have fucking I know. gaps I, in our I, knowledge. I, I, I'm just I'm just yanking your. Who's, who's the who's the cinematographer for this movie? 
Ah, uh, that's good old... He passed away just a couple years ago. Um, um, Vilmos Zygmunt. Vilmos God, Zygmunt. He shoots the hell out of this thing. Yeah, he's also done, just to zip through some of his filmography, uh, The Long Goodbye, which I think is a classic, uh, Deer Hunter, Blowout, uh, The Witches of Eastwick, uh, just name a few. Um, but no, yeah, great cinematographer. Close counters, what do you think of it? I have three things to say. And here are the one. three things. Number one. Number one. There are three versions of this movie, so Marcus, I don't blame you for your confusion. Um, Steven Spielberg doesn't like to do special editions or director's cuts most of the time. Um, I think, I may be wrong here, I think the only two movies he's done this with is Close Encounters and E.T. I, I, I may be wrong, but I think that's the case. With E.T., uh, like we were saying earlier, um, there is that version that came out for, I think, the 20th anniversary where Steven Spielberg, it was like, what, 1982 when he made it. In 2002, uh, I'm not joking when I say this. I'm pretty sure he was like, you know what? It's post 9-11. Let's go, like, I'm going to take another look at E.T. Uh, for the anniversary, I'm going to make it a bit lighter. I'm going to, uh, and I'm putting, I'm going to put in deleted scenes. More E.T. in E.T. Why not? So he put in some. Spilled the E.T. Yeah. <laughs> So he put in more E.T. in E.T. Uh, he put in like special like CGI effects uh, in there that kind of looked weird. But the big difference like the Star is Wars stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. He saw his friend George and he's like, you know, what? I'm going to do with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that with E.T. I'm going to Star Wars special edition E.T. So he added those scenes. But then like the biggest thing is, yes, uh, he digitally erased the guns uh, the FBI agents were holding. Because yes, there are scenes in ET where FBI FBI agents are like pointing a gun at kids. So I'm guessing Spielberg is like, you know what? We live in a different world now. Uh, let's let's change the guns to walkie talkies. But then he clearer heads prevailed, and that version has basically been erased from history. Like you cannot find that version on digital. Uh, it's only like on the DVD that came out 20 years ago. Uh, you can only pretty much find like the the theatrical version of ET now. Um, so that's that version. Nobody has said that they can't watch the special edition of E.T. Uh, with with uh, Close Encounters, it was such a huge hit that the that the studio, uh, Columbia Pictures, was like, Hey, Steven, let's re-release Close Encounters again and again and again and again and again. So you have the theatrical version, uh, and then you have the special edition, and then you have the director's cut. So there are three cuts of, e- of a Close Encounters. Sorry. Um, the best version, I think, of the three is a the theatrical version. Uh, the special edition of the director's cut, it does add plenty more. Um, and I think even... I'm going to double check. One of the versions, uh, either the, 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 the other... Sorry. One of the versions, either the special edition or the director's cut... Shows you the inside of the spaceship. Now, do you remember seeing the inside of a spaceship in the version you saw, Marcus? No, I, I didn't. Yeah. So here it is. In the special edition, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character walks into the spaceship and you get to see the inside of a spaceship. 
uh, in that special edition cut. And that, again, that was because Columbia wanted a re-release. And Spielberg was like, all right, I'll give you this. More butts are going to be in the seats because people are going to be like, oh, this version now shows the inside of an alien spaceship? I'm in. I mean, having... I'm, I'm assuming you watched the theatrical version, Marcus. Now, would you pay... Or, or would you be excited to see another version of this movie where you see the inside of a spaceship? Not in the slightest. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but an audience in 1977 uh, would be like, hey, I'm in. Uh, I'll, I'll watch Richard Dreyfuss walk into a spaceship. Anyway, I hope that clears up the, the, the differences between uh, versions uh, and like special edition, director's cut, theatrical version. Just know the theatrical right. version, I think. Point number two. Theatrical version is the best one. Point number two. Point number two. Uh, good old Steven Spielberg and his and his uh, familiar boy. Uh, wait, how do you say it? F- f- family drama. F- familial. Familial. Yeah. Good old Steven Spielberg and his familial drama. I'm I I'm gonna agree to your point, Marcus. I mean, after seeing Fablemans, you definitely see a lot of uh, Spielberg's like childhood reality spill into this movie and his other movies. Um, it does feel real. It does feel like, whoa, like he's definitely dealing or he's not necessarily dealing with something, but like processing something as a filmmaker and putting it on screen. I, I revisiting it after seeing Fablemans, I definitely got that vibe and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bring up this little anecdote cause I like it. When Steven Spielberg was talking to James Lipton, you may have seen this clip, Marcus, James Lipton says, and I'm going to try to do a James Lipton impression. James Lipton goes, Now at the end of Close Encounters, you have the scientists communicating with the aliens. And you have a musician communicating with the aliens. Stephen, you grew up, or you were raised by a scientist. You were raised by a musician. Did you purposefully make this connection in your in your film where scientists and musicians came together to talk to an alien force? And Steven Spielberg goes, James, I've never made that connection until just now. So good job. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but I find it funny that I, 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 I never thought about that until James Lipton said it and I saw that clip. And then seeing the Fable Women's, I go, yeah. And the fact that Steven Spielberg apparently didn't know that connection either. The fact that he put his, like the his like the the fact that he was raised by two people who were very different, and like these two forces are so distinct that they came together at the end of Close Encounters by way of like these scientists and musicians communicating with aliens. That's a beautiful thing. The fact that they, that he didn't know that is us is insane. But like again, he's processing his childhood yeah. and his parents through the magic of cinema. So that's amazing. Uh, uh, yeah. And things, things, things seep out of you both consciously and subconsciously, you know, like exactly. It, that doesn't surprise me at all. Final point, Marcus, let's talk about this thing. That's kind of bothered me since I've, since I've seen it. The fact that Richard Dreyfus just leaves his family and goes on a spaceship and just says, fuck it. Fuck earth. I'm out of here. 
had uh, and and Spielberg has said uh, years later that he regrets doing that. He says um, he would not do the same thing now, having a wife and kids himself. Uh, he says that this ending uh, is basically it was made by a young kid. Uh, but Marcus, how do you feel about that? Because uh, having seen it again. I don't know. I'm kind of on Richard Dreyfuss' side a tiny bit. And and maybe, again, it's like Spielberg processing the fact that his parents got divorced. Like, maybe it's giving, in a way, like his father an out. Like, maybe, maybe going on a spaceship is the best way to go. But it on the face of it, though, leaving your kids and family to go on a spaceship, kind of a, kind of a bad move, character-wise. But... but what did you think of that, or, or or am I just digging in too deep into this move? Like, is it is it just supposed, supposed to be taken as like a fun little like romp? It's like, oh, of, of course he would go on a, away in an alien ship. Why not? Uh, in my take is like he was already gone to begin with. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't even know if he the first time that he actually made some sort of contact from then on, he's a different person. Uh, he's, and it seems like he's, I don't know, possessed kind of in a way. And I don't know if there's any way he could stay behind unless finally meeting them and they give him the, the okay or they leave him alone or whatever. But yeah, I, I, I get that too. Like out, out of context, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. But, uh, I feel like in the context of the movie, I don't see any other way it could play out. I, I, I totally get that. But yeah, again, I think I may be putting too much into into that. And, and the fact that even Spielberg himself said, I wouldn't do that now. Um, I kind of see his point. But uh, again, you're right, though. In the in the, uh, in the movie itself, like it makes the most sense like for him to finally get to where he wants to go. And to him to finally realize, like, hey, this is what I want. Because uh, who wouldn't want that? I mean... If given the opportunity, Marcus, would you just go away and fly away with these aliens? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving That's on. That's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> uh, oh, finally, uh, we, we have to do this. Marcus, the connection between Close Encounters uh, and Richard Kelly's work. Do you see it? Oh, there's absolutely. There's a childhood wonder uh, that I, I think uh, a childhood wonder that is like an obsession that becomes obsession, that becomes adult obsession with uh with m- mystical forces um that that is so clearly inside of Donnie Darko and Southland Tales and and I and the box from everything I understand so yeah absolutely yeah you can definitely see a through line between Richard Dreyfuss's character in this and yeah like you said Donnie Darko and uh the rocks character Southland Tales uh Boxer Santeros that's the character right Boxer Santeros you yeah, got, I got it. it I got it at one uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right, hundred um, percent. And yeah, uh, visually, like this is like such a beautiful film, like widescreen, uh, two point three nine aspect ratio. Uh, going back to going back to lenses, it's like a a, a, a beautiful looking anamorphic lens used uh, in this production. Um, and I can see Richard Kelly sort of like you know shooting a shot and and sort of like making Southland Tales. Uh, Southland Tales more uh, Donnie Darko maybe not as much especially Southland Tales making it like an epic sort of feel on the scale 
or maybe just like trying to attempt to do an epic movie like Close Encounters. I can see that connection, and I could definitely see. Sp- speaking of like the uh, one of the last movies we talked about uh, in this little mini series, like his other favorite, Brazil, I can see a connection between the visual uh, 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 production here. Uh, being more close to Southland Tales than like Brazil is the Southland Tales, if you know what I'm saying, Marcus. Yeah. Thank you. Is that it for classic? Is that it for Close Encounters? I believe that is it for the classic Close Encounters. If uh, if, if, if 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 it were up to me, we'd never talk about it again, <laughs> and we never will. Moving on <laughs> to another hack, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Oh wait, hold on. hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, I gotta say this uh, real quick. Close encounters. God, another thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Kelly named five of his favorite movies uh, back in two thousand nine uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes went up to Richard Kelly and goes, "Hey, Richard, what are your five favorite movies?" Like TMZ at the airport. Exactly. Hey, hey, Richard, 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 over here, over here, over here. Smile, <laughs> smile, smile. Uh, Close Encounters, what do you think of that? And Richard Kelly says here on the site from 2009, Close Encounters, my favorite Spielberg film, is probably this. The end. So, yes, it's it's in his top five of all time. So, there you go. I just wanted to point that out, too. And I want to say this about Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon is also in his top five. Here's what he says about Barry Lyndon. Uh, Actually, uh, there are two Kubricks in Kelly's top five movies. So he first he says 2001: A Space Odyssey. He says of that it pioneered everything. It's a film that says pretty much everything that needs to be said about about our species. Parentheses laughs. (laughs) So he laughed every after he said that. It was such a groundbreaking. It was such a groundbreaking film on every level. I don't know if anyone has broken ground quite in the way that Kubrick did with that film. And then Barry Lyndon is next on his list. He goes about. He, he says this about Lyndon. On the flip side, Barry Lyndon for me is the most beautiful film ever made, for its beauty and also for its statement about our hubris as a species. In the character of Barry Lyndon being a fool who destroys everyone around him, after that, it's really murky. I'm not sure what he says. I'm not sure what he means by that. Well said. Well said, Rich. <laughs> uh, okay. So Barry Lyndon is next. Barry Lyndon, I'll just start off by saying I, I love this movie uh, a lot. Uh, I, I saw this movie, movie for the first time like maybe four years ago in a theater. Uh, and like I did like it a lot back then, but now seeing it now, years later, just putting on in the background as I work here last week, I was like kind of blown away by it. I, I couldn't keep my eyes off it. I couldn't do any work that day uh, for three hours because it's it's just so damn beautiful. I agree with Richard Kelly. It's a beautiful movie and it's engrossing. I I, I love the uh, I love the, the the character of Barry Lyndon. I love all the shit he gets up to. Um, excuse me, excuse me, Marcelo. It's a uh, Redemberry, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, good old, what's his name here? 
yeah, Redmond Barry. Uh, yes. So I guess the plot is in the in 1750s Ireland. Uh, we meet Redmond Barry, uh, and it takes place in two parts. Part one says, uh, and it it's split into two parts. Part one is titled. But what means Redmond Barry acquired the style and title of Barry Lyndon? <laughs> and it goes into how he got the title of Barry Lyndon. Like, basically, he got very lucky. Like, uh, uh, like uh, you know, trying to dodge the war at the time. Yeah. And then uh, ending up, you know, falling in love with this, like, rich heiress. And, and like, you know, basically saying, hey, I'm Barry Lyndon now. And then part part two is titled... Containing an account of the misfortune and disasters which befell Barry Lyndon, and basically it just says, uh, and basically this part just is like showing the downfall of Barry Lyndon. Like he basically fucks everything up. He becomes an, an adulterer. Uh, he, he beats up his like stepson, who, who basically has power over him, and his other son is, is has a terrible terrible fate. Uh, he basically fucks everything up in the second part. So. Over three hours, I don't know. I'm just engrossed by this story, and it, I, I again, I agree. It's it's a beautiful movie. Marcus, take it away. Your thoughts on this? Okay. I knew we were going to do this, so I bought the Criterion of Barry Lyndon. Congratulations. Thank you so much. How does it feel to be so rich? Um, because you bought a Criterion. I, I and actually I bought this during sale time, but I requested that I pay full price. For it. <laughs> um, you you Venmo Criterion uh, twenty dollars, an extra twenty. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Marcel, I'm ashamed to admit this. I'm scared to admit this. I watched probably a half hour of this, and then I whipped out my phone. <laughs> And kind of just had the movie on in the background for about two hours. And then I turned it off and did not finish it. <laughs> you are a bastard. A fake. I'm a fake film fan uh, from my first breath to my dying day or whatever. No, look, I get it. It is gorgeous aesthetically. I don't disagree. And again, I think I get it. And it, it's funny. It was funny. Uh, this this Barry Lyndon guy is an asshole. I couldn't do it, man. <laughs> like, this specific type of period piece is so hard for me. And to sit there and watch a three and a half hour one, God, I couldn't do it. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. I don't know what to tell you, Marcus. I I love this thing. And uh, okay. I'll be up front and say I was kind of worried about watching this for this show. Cuz like when I saw it for the first time, it was in a theater. Uh and I I've talked about That's my so problems bored. with watching movies at home. I cannot focus. I was so bored. I was so bored. Oh, no, huh, huh. I I I I I I get it. On a level, okay? I get yeah. it on one level. I get I get that it's long. I get that it's a little tedious. I get that it's, I get that it's a, that it's a little slow. 
and I'm lucky that I saw it in a theater and like it kept my focus because I had to keep focus because I was watching a screen in the dark with like 200 other people and I couldn't pull my I couldn't pull my phone out but I was just I, I maybe maybe I was just in the right mood and I again I was worried about seeing it again but I was just so enthralled by it I was just like I was just like yes like this is beautiful yeah. and I'm I'm like following the story and for the final 30 minutes, I'm like, fuck everything else. Like, fuck my work. Fuck looking at the phone. I just sat and watched the goddamn thing, like, from the, from, just straight through. I, I, and yeah, I, I kept my eyes off it a bit, but like, mostly I was just looking at the screen for like the entire runtime. But the final, for the final 30 minutes, I was just engrossed. Like, I couldn't focus on anything else. So yeah, Marcus, I'm the complete opposite of you. I, I, I was, I, I love this thing. Uh, the, the character of Barry Lyndon. Played by Ryan O'Neill, which is a choice that I, that I always think is weird because Ryan O'Neill was like a huge star at the time. Um, but like now, nobody knows who he is. Honestly, like we do. Do you, do you know yeah. of any other Ryan O'Neill things? It sounds like was he in Paper Moon? Uh, yes, yeah, you got yeah, you got it right. Paper Moon. Uh, he was okay. also in Love yeah, Story. That's, um, that's all I got. He was in The Bridge Too Far. What's up, Doc? Uh. I mean, eighty-one I, years old, still going strong. Yeah, I, don't don't get me wrong. I think Ryan O'Neill is like great, uh, but like his his um, his persona as a film star has faded for sure. He's only he's been in Bone. He was on Bones for eleven years. <laughs> Night of Cups is his last movie. Oh wow! So yeah, he, he's worked with yeah. the greats. Um, but in this, he's such okay. In this, he's such like a cipher. He's such a basically a canvas in which Kubrick paints this 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 idiot of a, of a character, uh, and and Ryan O'Neill is like, yes, I'm in. Like, I, I I'm the I'm the himbo, like piece of shit, who just you know by the end just fucks everything up, and I'm on board. Like I I hate to I hate to admit it, but like I as a human, kind of like what Kelly was saying. Uh, how he sees this similarly to 2001 and like uh, uh, viewing our species as like idiotic, uh, critical of our species. I yeah. see, I see Barry Lyndon as like a, a, a sort of like relatable goof who just, yeah, who fucks everything. Who, he, he fucks everything up by the end because of his hubris, because of his ego. Uh, he can't let things, he couldn't let things go. He, he, he was always so greedy. He was always like, so like, horny that cowardly cowardly and he got lucky a few times in like duels he got lucky in meeting like his wife but he squanders it and hey i relate <laughs> i get it <laughs> uh i can be an idiot too and in that way like it, it fascinated me I, I i found it weirdly relatable watching it now um but uh, i guess that's all i have to say uh, you you have nothing else to say i'm guessing but i really don't I I love it. I again, uh, and, and maybe it's because I, I just watched uh, again uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut a few a few weeks ago. Yeah, where do you put it with the Kubricks? Interesting question. Uh, off the top of my head, the cubes. Off the top of my head, I put like uh, Doctor Sh- Strange. Love. Strange. I put Strange Love number one. Mm. No, wait, hold on, hold on. Oh God! See, this is tough. Either The Shining or Strange Love. The Shining. Either Shining or Strange Love for one. 
Paths and then glory. 2001 is next. And then I might, uh, yeah, I'll put Barry Lyndon next. And then Paths wow. of Glory. Wow. And, and then, then Eyes Wide Shut? And then Eyes Wide Shut, yes. Eyes Wide Shut is, is wow. like right below Barry Lyndon. No, no, yeah. Uh, Barry Lyndon, Eyes Wide Shut, and then Paths of Glory. And then everything else I've seen of his is, is there too. Uh, uh, I forget what else he did. He did Spartacus. He did uh, the, the, the Killing, Killer's Kiss. Yeah, I, ha- I, I haven't the, seen the, Lolita. The Moon Landing. The Moon Landing, yes. The Moon Landing is like number... It's like last on the list. Clockwork Orange, Full Clockwork. Metal Jacket. Oh, cl- oh that, okay. I I haven't seen Clockwork Orange or Full Metal Jacket in years and years. I need to rewatch them, but I remember Paths of Glory being just amazing. I think Paths of Glory is like... That movie's better than I think Clockwork Orange and Full Metal Jacket, from my memory. I love Paths of Glory. That's, that's, a, that's a stunner. Uh, anyway... I, uh, I have not seen that much. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Our final film today. Wait, the question, Marcus, oh, from sorry. from the two from the thirty minutes you focused on and the two hours you glanced at, uh, did you catch the connection between this movie and Richard? Kelly's whatever work? you said, yeah. Uh, whatever you said about the point about maybe uh, how humanity is uh, uh, just. Uh, <clears throat> Is the hubris of humanity that is so clearly one of the major themes of Southland Tales? So uh, there you go. Yeah, and I'm I I am in agreement. I, I think the way he shoots movies is beautiful at times. Like I think parts of Southland Tales does look beautiful, but he's not specifically looking for like, oh, I'm going to make the most beautiful movie ever. Yeah, he's not incredibly meticulous. Exactly. Yeah, he's in, not uh, all this blocking and all that shit. He's not a Kubrick. He's not a Terrence Malick. Uh, he's not looking for these beautiful shots of like nature and uh, the framing and all that. Uh, he does. He does care about how a movie looks, but uh, I can still see like him. I mean, he's a capable director. I mean, not capable. He is like a really good director. He's he's like, but he puts that kind of detail. He puts that into more of his uh, his script script work, his editing. I think yeah. more than into cinematography. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. That's Barry Lyndon. We have one more. Can I get a <laughs> witness? Peter Weir's Peter Weir's witness. Witness, witness uh, me. All right, let me let me read this Richard Kelly quote, and then I'll toss it to you, Marcus. I want to hear your thoughts on this first. Richard Kelly says, "Witness." Uh, he he puts it. Well, he doesn't put it in his top five, so sorry, sorry that's anything. Uh, and ju- and just a reminder, he has two thousand one in his top five. He has Barry Lyndon in his top five. He has Close Encounters in his top five. The other two are Vertigo and The Big Lebowski. Um, but for Witness. He's gone on record as a big Peter Weir fan. That's why yeah. we're talking Witness. Because Peter Weir, uh, he's made some great movies. But I think Witness might be his most well-known. That and Truman Show, actually. And that and Master Dead Command. Poet, you know Dead what? Poets. One, Dead Poets. Uh, you know what? I take it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like his fourth most popular movie. Yeah. But, it's not his most popular. No, no, no. I take it back. I, I'm wrong about that. Um, but it's it's one that uh, has, has has come up uh, whenever Richard Kelly mentions uh, Peter Weir. So here here's here are two quotes that I want to share 
about uh, Richard Kelly talking about Peter Weir. Kelly goes, I remember being very moved and impressed with Peter Weir's ability to shapeshift from genre to genre and to tell all different kinds of stories set in different eras and communities. He could do Dead Poet Society. Then he could go and make Witness or The Fearless. Um, Then he has another quote here um, where he talks about this movie uh, called The Cars That Ate Paris, which is another... Peter Weir movie uh, that I'm guessing we'll have to do in the future. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He goes, uh, he talks about Weir. He says, Weir is able to lend his films a degree of ambiguity that has such a specific respect for the audience's intelligence. So that's what he says about uh, uh, Peter Weir. And the cars that ate Paris. Well, I'll just start off. Both those points, uh, I think, are f- on full display inside of just the win- of just witness. Uh, the the shape shifting, like this, this movie is fifteen minutes of a co- of like a really thrilling cop cop like uh, thriller, and then it is an hour and a half of dicking around on an Irish farm. And then it is 15 more minutes of really intense cop thriller. And I think Irish it, it, it what did you say Irish or Amish? Oh, if I said Irish, I apologize. Amish. Um, and I think and with this, with this really nice love story, I think all of it, it, it is, it feels like it's like a few different disparate movies just plunge together but all of it is equally as uh engaging as the rest of it and uh and uh to the 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 what, what, what was the second point can you say that again uh weir is able to lend his films a degree of ambiguity that has such a respect for the audience's intelligence yeah, that's definitely there. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I had, some, I feel like I had something more. Wait, 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 wait. But you know what? But but they do again. Fifteen minutes of cop thriller, an hour. He gives. He lets the audience. He tells the audience, "We're gonna barely come in and out of that. We're gonna reference it every now and then." This is a love story now, um, and I think that is so. Like that is such a good. It's such, it's, this is such a weird, 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 weird movie that, that its structure is all over the place. And I love that about it is it's, 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 it's engrossing. It really, uh, God, I, I'm, I'm finding it hard to formulate thoughts about this one, but this hot dog is a good film. Harrison Ford, uh, one of his best performances ever. Yeah. Um, uh, the the play between um, different societies of people and uh, the, the 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 love story the it's not star crossed lovers but it's like uh, it's kind of star crossed lovers they come from different worlds and they can't uh, be together um, in the end uh, I think that was really beautiful I agree Marcus this movie is weird um, I have not seen this before. Uh, out of the four we're talking about today, this is the one that was a blind spot. This is new. A new one for you. A new, a new for Peak. 
Uh, well, just to just to just to remind me, were these all four new watches to you? Yep, all four of them. Yeah, a witness is always one I wanted to see, and I'm glad I had this opportunity now. I'd like to thank the Academy for giving me this opportunity to watch <laughs> Witness for this podcast. Witness, a uh, weird movie. Harrison Ford plays a plays a cop in uh <clears throat> in, in 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 Pennsylvania. And uh, this little Amish kid, uh, played by Lucas Haas, uh, whose mother is uh, played by Kayla McGillis. Uh, they're, 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 they're traveling, and as they're waiting for their train, uh, little Lucas Haas witnesses a murder. Oh, uh, oh little Loki. A, a, a murder perpetrated by none other than Danny Glover. So uh. Uh, Harrison Ford... Uh, who is who is uh, hell bent on finding the killer? Uh, uh, takes this kid and says, "Hey, kid, who's the killer?" And the kid uh, uh, says, "Hey, th- this guy's the killer." And spoiler spoiler alert for a movie that is you know close to forty years old. That killer, Danny Glover, is a cop. Yeah. Yeah. So then Harrison Ford. Ends up uh, uh, staying with uh, the Amish family, uh, McGillis and Haas, uh, at their at their little uh, 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 settlement, uh, and he becomes he becomes like a, a, an undercover Amish person, uh, and then yeah, like Marcus was saying, it's a romance, uh, and it's okay. Here's my boilerplate feeling on this movie: if Ivan Reitman directed it. It'd be like the number one comedy of 1985, because <laughs> um, this this plot is is ridiculous. It's it, I yeah. but but it, but it's played seriously and it's successful in playing it seriously. I I was really like just 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 enamored with like Ford and McGillis and the kid Haas and this yeah. community and. The threat felt real because, like, Ford is like basically fighting for his life to protect himself and like uh, um, McGillis and Haas from Danny Glover, the bad guy, and it's all uh, it's all set in this Irish community that feel again it feels real. It, it feels like it feels like this Peter Weir and like you the screenwriters. Amish. <laughs> Wait, what? Say it again. But you said Irish. God damn it. <laughs> I swear I said I, <laughs> but, Amish. There, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to cut in just a little bit. This is a movie that this has movie. one of the most grisly deaths I've ever seen of a man. And not grisly, but like uh, hero, uh, 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 scary. One of the most terrifying deaths I've ever seen of a man getting uh, caught in a corn uh, bin uh, and getting slowly drowned in corn until he's like totally crushed to death. And suffocates. An amazing silo death. And yes, an amazing corn silo death. It has that that horrifying corn silo death in the same movie where we get just this absolutely gorgeous Kelly McGillis of a communal experience of uh, building a barn. Yes, for like five minutes. Uh, That's just great. A montage of building a barn. Uh, and and like yeah, the, you can see the whole community come together to do it, and this this is like simple, simple Amish living, um, 
both those things happen in this movie and both of them totally work. You said, you said Irish again. I didn't. I know I didn't. I know that I did not. I, I made a point to not. It went through my head. I know I didn't. I agree with you, Marcus. Um, in in what could have been a joke of a movie, uh, it, it does take the Amish experience and makes it very real, sincere. It do, it's it respectful. Does, if it, yeah, exactly. Respectful is the word. Um, but yeah, but again, it's 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 like you were saying earlier too. It's a mix of like so many genres and movies, and I do think the romance works. I think it's hot uh, because they're it, Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. Ooh, they steam they up the chemistry. screen. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not even like yes, there's like nudity, but it's not the kind of nudity you expect in a romance. I'll just say that for those who haven't watched it before, it's surprising how they handle this. And the ending is surprising too. When it comes to this romance, ah, I I think, I think it works again. It's weird. It's an odd mix, but yeah, overall I'm like, yeah, this movie's, this movie's good. This, this, I, I, Uh, I, I like this. Of everything we watched, this is the one that I'm dying to watch again. I want to watch this one again. I am not with you. I'd rather watch Barry Lyndon again, to be honest. But I, 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 I hey, wow, I, <laughs> that's just me. But I, I, I do love this though. I, uh, I, I'm glad I saw this for this show because uh, I finally can cross off Witness um, because I've heard about this for so long. I have heard, yes, this is like one of Harrison Ford's best. Um, I'm a big fan of Peter Weir uh, from the movies I've seen of his, and like uh, I, I know from Kelly's description. Uh, about him and like other people who talk about him, like he is like a chameleon. He does jump from like genre to genre, and he he's one of the best to do that. Um, and I I'm with him. I'm with Kelly when when he says Peter Weir can jump from genre to genre, make these different kinds of movies, and can overall just understand these different settings, communities, characters, and make movies that uh, they that don't. That uh, doesn't play down to people. That doesn't play down to the he audience. Feel, he feels That's like smart. a very compassionate person. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the question here: the connection between a movie like Witness and a movie like Southland Tales or Donnie Darko or The Box, Marcus? Yeah, this one's a little tougher. Um, I guess play with multiple genres. Um, that is certainly Kelly's mo. Um. Yeah, that's the best I can think of right now. I one thought I just had because I also have I'm also having difficulty connecting uh, uh, Peter Weir and Richard Kelly. I will say Kelly and Seth Lantels makes a lot of attempts to make that movie sexy. I think he succeeds in making Seth Lantels sexy. Um. Especially at the end, like with like the the the, the dancing between the rock, Sarah Michelle Geller, and uh, remind me of like the the, the Sean. Oh, in the in the dancing scene, yeah, uh, yeah, Mandy Moore, Mandy Moore. I don't know the, the the chemistry between between those three. It's like so yeah. odd and weird, it's but there. it works. It works. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I, maybe one thing that like uh, Kelly takes from a Peter Weir movie like Witness is like the chemistry between actors. And I think Kelly understands that. I think 
the chemistry between like Sarah Michelle Gellar and The Rock works. Um, all right, so that's Witness. Anything else to say about Witness as we as we wrap up? No, I just really like the movie. Um, yeah, uh, it's time to take this one home. This is going to be what a two and a half hour episode. Uh, I might cut out so much. I might. Uh, I might. Uh, <laughs> you know what, Marcelo? I, this was a great comeback. This is better than I ever could have imagined. I'm so glad that we're back. Uh, coming up here, we're going to have uh, some returning guests, some old favorites coming back. We are going to have superstars. We're going to have film Twitter superstars. We are going to have smart people. We're going to have hosts of other podcasts. We're going to have people come together to uh, discuss Southland Tales, our, our rough roadmap for the future. We're going to have, we're going to finish off Kelly's faves uh, next week with. Uh, talking about the the last uh, batch of films that we picked uh and then we are going to uh dive into uh the con uh cut of southland tales which uh, marcelo has yet to see and we have yet to talk about um we're going to be doing a commentary on that with a very special guest we're going to be doing our regular breakdown episode of of the commentary of of the con cut excuse me uh we got to get into the box and then uh and then I think we're just going to have some more uh, general fun conversations with people for a while. Because uh, as much as we've talked about this movie, we keep proving that there's more to talk about this movie. And uh, I'm very excited for our future uh, as a species. And uh, and just on, on this show and as a species. So that's all I got to say. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter, at GunkBlader. Um, follow Marcelo at uh, Marcelo dot com uh go to talkfilmsociety.com slash uh southland tales um bah, bah, bah. take care of yourselves and with that i don't know how to uh, how do we end this <laughs> what um well whoa, whoa, whoa uh marcella did you do do you have any other plugs uh no we said it all uh, all right so our last uh, thing to do here is to go out with our oh, catchphrase that's right uh, uh, thanks for listening, and hey, folks, you too can also have, have a, nice a nice apocalypse. apocalypse. Yes, awesome.